our service and our series today, studying the book of James in Jesus' name. Thank you. If you're here with us last week, we started a, a message called He's Only Ever Good. And, and the plan originally was to talk through James chapter 1, verses 13 through 18. We're going to talk about um, understanding God's goodness and and how bad things can happen in our life. And, and as is the custom with us, sometimes we tend to go a little deep and then we run out of time. And so uh, by God's good grace, we get to return to this message today and do part two of he's only ever good. And I'm never really worried about that. And whenever we have to extend a message or, or double up or come back, I always see that as the Lord trying to get something into us. How many of you have found that the Lord has dealt with your stubbornness by repeating himself more than once? Amen? Oh, good. I'm in the right church today. Good. I think this might be part of what he's trying to do today is we talk about God's goodness. He's trying to say, I'm good. And we go, yes, all the time. And then he says, and all the time. And we say, God is good. Except for that, I think that many of us, myself included, didn't get the full extent of just how good God is. And so we pick up today right where we left off in James chapter 1, but we're going to read just three verses today. Verse 16, 17, and 18. James chapter 1, in the ESV it reads like this. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. For every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word and we thank you for this appointed time. God, I ask that you would illuminate this text for us today, that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive from you, that if there be anything in us that is unlike you, anything that is resistant to you, that you would cast those out in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, you are here and you reign. Let nothing in this room be unlike you, but everything be called unto you, be made in the image of Christ here today. Now, God, speak through these lips of clay, the unsearchable riches of Christ, that all that are hearing it today may be made new and all that agreed said amen. And amen. I'm so excited to preach this word. I, I, I wrote this word two, three weeks ago, and then when we didn't finish it, I got to rewrite it. And, and I've just come down from the mountain uh, with 30 of the men in our church for the Ash Advance. Where's all my men at? Where are you at? Where are you at? They're tired for sure. What was the sound you guys made? Yeah, 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 yeah. If I say, ladies, where are you at? Ladies always say, <laughs> And uh, men apparently make the sound of bonobo apes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've just come down from the mountain with my friends, and uh, we've had a, a mighty time in the name of the Lord. We, we, we got deep into the word, and if you ask any one of them, I taught some hard word. I sent some tough things, and many of the men, we were in a session yesterday, and I was about to say something, and I pulled back on it. I said, mm, no. And one of the fellas behind me, he said, no, say it, Pastor. And I paused for a second. Another fellow across the room, he said, no, 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 say it to us, pastor. And then I said the thing, and everybody was like, oh, don't say that, pastor. Don't say that. I love to preach to men. I love to grow men. I believe in men. We are a church that raises up men. I believe that God's kingdom is built by men in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All the ladies, you might say, wait a minute, hold up. We are here too. Yes, you are. Don't you think for one second that by me pushing and growing men, it diminishes the women in the house. Amen. I believe in a church that's raising men because for far too long, men have not been raising the church. For far too long, the church has been built by women because we men have been off like feral dogs trying to figure out how to live a life that pleases ourselves. But that day must be over in Jesus' name. The church must be built by strong men. And so I'm always pushing on men. And it's only 9.50, but I came ready to preach. The Bible tells us that God is good. Did you know that? The word good in the Bible, in both the Greek and the Hebrew, is uttered so many times you can't really track it. The beauty of the text is that throughout the text, those who would study the text would come to know the God of the text, and the God of the text is plain and simple, always is and always will be good. Problem is, is that we live in a world that is not good. Amen. And much of your lived experience is, objectively, we can say it, bad. And because so much of the world in which we live is bad, it becomes very difficult for those of us who don't know God to know that God is good. Am I talking to you? So we live through lived experiences that are not perfect, that are not good. We struggle, we fight, we travail, we strive, we suffer, and then we ask, God, why would you do this to us? It's the number one question that people who don't believe in God ask of those who do. If God is good then why do bad things happen? And for those of us who are new in the faith, we don't really have an answer. Today we're going to answer that question so that the next time you meet with somebody who doesn't know the Lord, you're hoping they ask that question. But before we do, you need to be clear on the truth itself. The Apostle James, in writing this letter to the universal church, has just talked to us about the imperfect understanding of who God is. He said, don't get it twisted, don't be deceived, don't be fooled. You are tempted, but you are never tempted by God because God is not like that. He doesn't tempt and he cannot be tempted. Do you remember we talked about that last week? And then we talked about the life cycle of sin. We, we actually called it the the death cycle of sin. We talked about how when temptation comes in, you are the one that takes it from there and leads it from just temptation to sin to death. We talked about how that process is run by you in your flesh. And after we get to that understanding that says you're not tempted beyond what you can bear, you're not tempted by God himself, you are tempted by an enemy who wants you to destroy yourself, and so when you fall into sin, what really happens is that you take the bait, amen, and you, by your own flesh, destroy yourself. And in verse 16, James says, stop it, <laughs> I love the Bible. Man, I love the Bible. Because Can you tell I've been preaching to men? I'm already a little bit rough this morning. Maybe I tone it down a little bit. James says this. He says, don't be fooled. 16, he says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Which in and of itself is a, a harsh rebuke. But in this harsh rebuke is this reminder that that you can actually resist temptation. See, so many of us fall into temptation so many times, we think that the temptation, too great, too powerful, too strong. Oh, I simply couldn't resist. Have you ever heard that? You ever said that? I just couldn't help myself. And James says, uh, yes, you can. 
but you have deceived yourself into believing that you can't help yourself. So stop deceiving yourself. He's talking to you about your flesh. I'm not talking about your spirit man, your soul or your mind, your decisions or your will. We're talking about your sin nature, your flesh who likes to feel good. You remember last week I was talking about trying to lose weight and how I love cake. It's not that my mind loves cake. My mind is keenly aware of the simple sugars and the travesty that happens when I have one slice and then 11 slices. It is the flesh that ignores all of that and whispers deceitful things to my mind and heart and says, oh, yes, but you will look good. You'll be thick. It'll be tasty. You're going to like it. And then I buy into it. Let me tell you this real quick about your flesh just so that you know. Your flesh is deceived. We live in a fallen world and under the original sin that has led the way that this world has worked. Your flesh was birthed in iniquity and is thereby deceived by this world, full of sin, full of fault. That's why you crave things that are bad for you even when you know they're bad for you. Your sin is a product of your flesh being deceived. But... Your flesh is not just deceived, your flesh is also deceiving. Your flesh believes the lie that what the world has to offer is greater than what God has to offer and then tells you that same lie back to yourself. Your flesh is foolish, distracted, and easily derailed. And so when the Apostle Paul talks about his own journey of faith, He makes this metaphor that I shared with the men this weekend, which is every runner runs to win win the race. Therefore, I discipline my body and my spiritual race as well, lest I be disqualified. I want to tell you this today. It is true that your flesh is deceived and deceiving. It is true that your flesh is foolish and fooling. It is true that your flesh wants things that aren't good for you. But it is not true that your flesh is stronger than your spirit man in Jesus' name. Amen? See, that one's hard. It is not true that your flesh is smarter, more cunning, has a better strategy, or has more benefit in mind for you than your spirit man. For those who are in Christ Jesus are made brand new. The spirit who dwells within you is the Holy Spirit. It has all wisdom and all power. You can defeat your flesh in Jesus' name. So James says, don't be fool. Stop listening to your flesh. Stop agreeing with your flesh. Fellas, when a lady walks down the street and she is wearing clothing that are revealing and your flesh says, just take a look, stop listening to your flesh. Listen to the words of the Lord that he says, if you look at a woman with lust, you have already committed adultery. You must be understanding of the fact that you have power, supernatural authority to crucify your flesh. You don't have to keep stumbling into the same sin. You can say, no more, I'm done being fooled by my flesh. Amen? But it's hard to do that sometimes, right? Most of the times, we believe our flesh. Amen? Well, it won't hurt. Just a little taste. No one will know. It can't be that bad. 
We could go on and on with phrases like this because for some reason, we have gotten really good at the narrative that fools us, amen? We've gotten really good at twisting the difference between good and bad. That's why we know that this temptation is not from God because whenever there's a twisting of the words that define both good and bad, it resembles the twisting of the words that define good and bad from the beginning of the twisting of Scripture. When the enemy said, did God really say... Every time you look at a thing that you know in your spirit man is wrong, but your flesh says, did it really say? Oh, you know, the Bible doesn't really talk about that. Really? You know, the living word that lives within you probably convicts you about that thing, and I would be remiss if you fought back on that thing. I want to tell you today that you do have power to resist and defeat that which your flesh speaks to you. Stop believing the lie that you're powerless. I feel like I'm supposed to say that like 12 more times. I really do. I really feel like there's a, there's a thing in many of us today and we're like, yes, but not over that. Yes, over that. Oh, but I've never been over that. Yes, over that. Christ did not die to save you from all sins, save for the one that you can't seem to defeat on your own. He came to take the sin of the world. Which sins? All the sins. Even the ones you still love. He came to take that from you. And you said, but he hasn't taken it from me yet. That's because you ain't let it go. You've been like, save me. Save me. Redeem me. Make me new. I just don't want to get rid of this thing that I love so much. Now, here's the challenge for most of us today. Most of our desires that lead us into temptation, that cause us to be succumbing to temptation, that take the bait, are not carnal in nature from the get-go. I want you to understand this. You and I all have in many ways an innate created being that yearns for the goodness of the Lord. Did you know this? The psalm says, like a deer panteth for the water, so my soul yearns for you. Every man and every woman who ever was, is, or will be born has an innate created being that yearns for the things of God. That is why throughout creation we have asked big questions about who is God and why are we here and what is good and what is bad. The problem is that filtered through the lens of a fallen world, that yearning is polluted and perverted. We want good things. I should say it like this. We actually yearn for God's things, but we will settle for things that look like God things. You, you want spiritual authority. You may not know this, but your body yearns for spiritual authority. Your spirit man yearns to have authority over this part of your life. You, yearn, you burn for it. You burn to be able to crucify the flesh and make good choices. How do I know? It's because when you start a regimen about diet and exercise and then you struggle, how many days, four days in? Me? You get upset about it. It's because you yearn or authority, but because spiritual authority, the ability to discipline the body and the mind and the thinking and the, the living and the moving, costs us something, requires humility, requires obedience, is harder than you think. Most of us who want spiritual authority will, will settle for power over people. 
We, we, we'll want a God thing and then find a thing that's kind of like it. This is why you meet people who struggle personally, who love the small level of power and authority they have in the world. Am I talking to We want these God things, but when we can't get those God things immediately, we settle for goodish things. We want security. We want to believe that when we give, God gives back, pressed down, shaken together, running over. But when that costs us something, when that's difficult, when it becomes a challenge, we, we, we let go of the security and provision that happens for obedient people in God, and we just chase the bag. We go after greed. We want what comes from the security. We just don't want it God's way. Are you tracking with me right now? We want God things, but we go for good. You want love. You want love. But you settle for lust. I mean, it, it felt like love last night. I mean, I want to be held and seen and cherished. And if he'll only do it when he calls, well, that'll, that'll do. How about this? You want health. You want health in your body. We want the image of health and the product of health But it means that we can't eat all the things we like. It means we have to get eight hours of sleep. It means you shouldn't be engaged in activities that would destroy your body. And so what we end up doing is approximating the image of health through plastics and serums and injections. What we're wanting is health, but what we're getting is vanity. Are you tracking with me today? We want godly things, but we settle for good-ish things. And if they're not God things, hear me, they're not good things. You with me? Because you know the rule. If, you, if I'm talking to anybody in the room, anybody who's settled for lust on an ongoing basis realizes that is a dead-end cul-de-sac. Anybody that's settled for greed has found that no matter how much money they get or lose, they're still empty on the inside. Anybody that ever tells you that they've exerted authority on people and put them in their place has found themselves lonely and still without power. And anybody who's walked the road chasing after God things in an ungodly way will tell you that it never fulfills. And so James looks at us and he says, let me tell you what fulfills. Verse 17, he says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. You need to understand in this text, we're going to do a quick Bible study real quick, that James is using two different words for the word translated in your text that says gift. In the first one, every good gift, the word that he uses for gift is dosis, okay? It is a Greek verb that means the act of giving. It does not mean gift. It means giving. James is saying every good act of giving is from God. He's saying this, the simple act of generosity, that's a God thing. Every time anybody has ever been, every time you've ever been generous, even before you knew God, that was a God thing. 
That's why even people who don't know God but are still generous feel the profound impact of acting that way. Even if they don't understand the principles from the Bible about sowing and reaping, even if they don't give in sacrificial manner or they don't give in obedience, but they give, they will tell you something happens in me when I'm generous. Do you know why? Because giving is a hallmark. Generosity is a character trait of God. And James says, every time you've ever given or any time anybody's ever given to you, that was God saying, I'm good. Doesn't it feel good to give? Yeah. Doesn't it feel good to receive? Yeah. Yeah, that's me. You may not know me yet, but that's me. I'm good. He says every good act of giving is from above. The next turn, the next word he says is every perfect gift. And the word that he uses here is the Greek noun, dorema, dorema. And it means actually the result of giving. It literally is a picture of a gift. And every gift is from God. He says everything that has been given to you, that what is of benefit to you, that was valuable to you, that you received as well and pleasing, that too is from God. I want you to think about your life right now and think about everything that has been and ever will be good for you. Everything that's ever been given to you. A good job, great. A wonderful note, great. Your spouse, your children, your community, every time anything has been put into your hands and has caused you to feel good, that is God. Amen? If the devil only tempts to invite you to unrighteousness, God always gives to invite you to righteousness. That is the argument that James is making here. The enemy trying to drag you down. God says, if oh, if I be lifted up, I would draw all men to me. Everything that is good in this world has come from God. I'll say it like this. All that's good is from God. And all that's from God is good. Academically, you know this, yes? Spiritually, you must know this. You must recognize that everything that's good that comes into your life is from God. And you must recognize that anything that God does in your life is good. Ready? Even if it doesn't feel good right now. You said, Pastor, <laughs> been in a tough season. It doesn't feel good. It feels bad. I'm stressed out. I'm worried. I'm fearful. I'm struggling. The things that used to work don't work. The things I used to do don't do. The people I used to trust I can't trust. The things I'm walking through they feel objectively bad. Surely this is not what God has for me. And I want to tell you this today. If it's from God, it's good for you. How do I know if it's from God? So glad you asked. If you are walking as a son or daughter of the Father of lights, if you're called by his name, if your faith is put in him, is your trust put in him, then no matter where you go, God gives that to you and it is good for you. Here's what you need to know. This book tells us that all things work together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose, which means if you're a believer, if you have Christ in your heart, 
Even the things the enemy throws at you that he means for evil, God turns for good. I'm going to do that part again because I want more of a Pentecostal response. Here's what it really means. God is so good that for his sons and daughters, even if when it's bad, it will become good. It's so good. God is so wonderful, so perfect, so mighty, that even when you go through hell, you'll walk out of hell and be like, that wasn't so bad. That really helped me. In fact, now I'll walk other people through hell because my God is so good, he makes bad things good for me. That's what I'm talking about today. All things that are good are from God, and everything from God is good. Amen? Here's why. He says this. Every good and perfect gift that comes down from above comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation and there's no shadow due to change. Ready? He's only ever been good. God is good today. Amen. And he was good in the beginning. Amen. And he will be good when it ties it all together. And he never changes. Which also means that whatever he decides is good or bad stays good or bad. It means that which he calls honorable and true and virtuous and noble and holy and righteous, those things will be that forever and ever. Amen. And that which he calls sin will always be sin. I want you to hear this. God does not change. And that which he calls good or bad also does not change. So sin defined here is still sin lived here. You with me? I do not care. And he does not either what the world tells you about our evolving morals. When the world tells you that we have moved on from those antique ideas, I say, I know, but he has not. The world has changed its mind about good and or bad. And a phrase that you'll hear as the world continues to evolve its ideology and paradigm of right and wrong is that many people, when challenged by this, most specifically and sadly holy people, when they come to understand that the book that they teach disagrees with the culture that they live in, they'll say this one phrase, and it breaks my heart, it should break yours too, and I never want you to walk into this foolish thinking. They say, I just want to be on the right side of history. I've just come to understand that this book is outdated and it was patriarchal and it was written by men and it's probably not true. And as the world gets smarter and begins to evolve about their understanding of right and wrong, I want to be on the right side of history. And I want to tell you this today. You do not want to be on the right side of history. You want to be on the right side of eternity. You want to be on the right side of the one who makes the right side. Amen? It should not be surprising to you that this world is growing more and more sinful. The Bible says that will happen. It's called the great falling away. It's going to get worse. Don't be deceived. Nothing good comes from sin and this world. Only good comes from God. Amen. Y'all with me? 
Amen. Don't you just love the Bible? He says, all of these things come down from the Father of lights with whom there is no change, no variation, nothing caused by shadow. He does not move because he's always the same. I want to show you how he's been good forever. Genesis chapter 1. The Bible says that in the beginning, God began to create the world. Amen? It says he created the light and the heavens and the sky. This is chapter 1. And then he created and separated the oceans from the water in the air. And he said it was good. Then he created all of the plants, and he said it was good. Then he created all of the stars, and he said, good. Then he created all of the sea creatures and all of the air animals, and he said, that's good. Then he created all of the livestock, and he said, that's good. Then he created man, and he stood back, and he looked at all of it, and he's like, that's really good. <laughs> if I don't say so, my, I'm going to take a nap. And then he leaves. Because everything that God makes, from the moment he makes it by design, is meant to be good. Now, what does good mean? You know, when we talk about the word good, it's actually not that good. Am I right? Because there's something in our language that's better than good. It's great. When someone says, how was dinner? Well, it was good, but it wasn't. Isn't that interesting? The word that God uses to describe things that are good is good, but we don't think good is good enough. So we've decided there are better things. Or we say things like, chef's kiss, it was phenomenal. It was perfect. It was wonderful. Breathtaking. Mind-blowing. <laughs> but if it was just good, it was just good. But that good is not the same as that good. The Bible says in this book, when God first sees that things are good and says they are good, the Hebrew word he's using is the word tov. T-O-V. It's where you may have heard the phrase, Mazel Tov. Y'all with me? And Tov means good. Well, kind of. Tov means good and well and pleasing and beautiful and tasty and perfect and awe-inspiring and breathtaking. Chef's kiss and wonderful and fulfilling and effective and sustaining and perfect and great and life giving and able to repro reproduce and able to reproduce more life. In fact, what Tove actually means is capable of and in the process of and destined to produce things that are so good, they reproduce more things that are even more good so that forever and ever good just keeps happening until day after day, life just keeps happening and it's always good. Tove is the word. And so when someone says, how was dinner? And you go, Tove! And they're like, toes? No. Tove. The word in and of itself is the very definition of anything that is worth anything. When God creates the world step by step, he looks at that which he creates and he says, that is perfect. It is capable of and in the process of and destined to produce life that will always be made perfect because I made it to be perfect and reproduce forever and ever. He does that with the sky 
As he creates the sky, he says, yes, life-giving. Then he walks over to the ocean, and he, and he separates the sea on the land from the sea in the air, and he says, yeah, that's Tove too. And then he separates the waters, and he gathers all of the land together, and he builds forth the mountains and the streams and the hills and the valleys. He lays out pastures upon which we may walk and wander. He lays forth field where crops might grow, and he says, yes, that's life-giving too. That's perfect. That's capable and destined to produce great things. Then he brings forth all of the birds and all of the sea creatures and he marvels at him he says that's good look at that thing and then he looks at your cows and dogs and sheep and he makes all of the livestock and he says so good that's going to help so well and then he makes you and me yes us and he puts us in the middle of all this goodness it's, it's perfect, and it's perfectly made to produce life. And he places the man and the woman in Tove, and he says, very Tove. <laughs> Read your Bible. He says, he looks at all of creation, all that he made, and he says, it's not Tove, it's very Tove. It's very good. In fact, when he brought forth man and woman, he placed them in a place that was, ready, only Tov. They were sinless, Tov. Under a perfect God, Tov. In a perfect place, Tov. But something went wrong. Amen? The Bible says that they were, they were Tov. It was Tov. But then there was this thing that happened that made Tov Ra. Ra is the Hebrew word for evil. Something happened in this perfect good place that made it so that the rest of humanity would not suffer, would suffer in a bad place. You see, God had told Adam, you can look upon all that is Tov and you may eat of anything. It's all Tov for you. Save for that one tree. In the center of the garden I have put the tree of life. It is bringing forth tov, life, to this entire environment. And near it, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of the understanding of tov and ra. And he says, you, you mustn't eat that. For when you do, you will die. Now, I don't know how you read your Bible. But I talk to my Bible, ask questions of my Bible, sometimes grow frustrated with my Bible. And I have been wrestling with this part of this teaching in my Bible for two weeks. This morning I got extra early, made myself a coffee and sat down and said, how could you be so tove and create all of this wonderful tove world? put man and woman tove into tove and then give them a tree that would produce raw, produce evil. Why would you make the tree? If it was so good, why would you just not leave that tree out? Have you ever wondered that? Why couldn't it just stay tove? I've always looked at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil as a bad thing. Why would he do that to us? Why would he do? And when he says this to Adam, he says, you must not surely eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because when you do, not if, 
when you do, you will surely die. And so I'm crying out to my God, angry at my Bible. Why would you do this? Why would you put a thing that could open the door for good or bad in a perfect place for perfect people? Why wouldn't it just stay perfect? And the Lord says this, I put the tree to give people, Adam and Eve, the opportunity to choose Tov. You need to understand this. You see, when he creates the sun, moon, and stars, when he creates the oceans and the land, when he creates the sea creatures and the, land, the air creatures and the land creatures, and he makes everything wonderful in Tov, he makes all of the plant life, he makes it Tov, but he makes it so that it moves and operates according to its cellular DNA. They operate by instinct. They are not made in the image of God. They are made unique to produce something. Amen. So they just operate and know no difference between good and evil, but he made us in his image, which means we have a mind and a soul and a spirit. And because God is so good, he says, I won't force you to be good if you don't want it. I won't impose myself upon you unwillingly. In fact, I... I want you to want me. Then it will be tov. And so he places a tree in the garden and he says, that tree will let you choose tov or ra. And Adam and Eve chose ra. Now, when I used to first learn about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I thought, like many of us believed, that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was this eye-opening fruit, that if they were to partake of the fruit, they would become aware, illuminated, of the difference between good and evil. But that is not what the text says, right? I used to think it was like this moment of awakening where they would suddenly realize good and evil. But that's not what the text says. The text says it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, not the knowledge of good between evil. Here's what you need to understand. When they're living in the garden, they have the knowledge of good. They only know good. There's only good around them. But the tree says you get to know good or you can add evil if you'd like to. That's what the tree is. If you pick that, you will get, well, you'll get that. And that is why you and I struggle so much. It's not that we're aware of the difference between good and evil. It's that we, we just keep picking raw. We just keep choosing evil. He made you good. He made all things good. But for humanity, he said, I want you to choose it as well. And we chose bad, which means we live in bad. Amen? This is why your life is hard. You ever resent that couple? You had one job. But God was not mistaken, nor was he fooled. He did not say, Adam, please try not to eat of the fruit, because if you do, it's like super bad things. He said, Adam, don't. But when? He was not surprised, nor was he fooled. In fact, this was always part of the plan. God has always and only chosen that we would choose him. That's how good he is. And it's also a setup at the same time. 
Notice this in verse 18. It says this. So God blessed the seven. Oh, I'm reading in the wrong darn text. Here we go. I'm in Genesis. I'm talking about rest. Yes, Lord, we'll talk about rest next week. My apologies. Verse 18, he says, of his own will, that's the will of the Father, he brought forth by the word of truth, that's Jesus, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. He says, I made everything in the beginning good, and I let you choose good or bad. And even when you choose bad, I'm still sending good into the world so that no matter how bad you choose or how bad you do, you can still be made tov. Everything that God calls is tov. Everything he makes is tov. And so when he makes man and says tov, he was speaking prophecy through the ages to say, though they will struggle, though they will fall, though it will be marked by bad, they will still be made tov for all that believe in the good son, Jesus Christ. Somebody's going to ask you over the next several weeks, if God is so good, why do bad things happen? And the answer is so clear. We have chosen bad. It is our choice, our design. It are, they are our decisions that we choose bad. Well, why would he allow bad in? Because he wants you to love him as good. And you can understand this last part, and we're going to worship, and then I'm going to get you out of here. Right now you're going through a difficult season, a, a, a raw season, a bad season, and you're wondering, is God really good? And I'm going to tell you this very definitively and very clearly. Holy Spirit, help me. Yes, God is good. But not everything that you're walking through is starting out as good. You may have made some very bad choices. Amen? That still doesn't make God bad. And you might be subject to the bad choices of other people. Amen? And that still does not make God bad. And God invites you through your bad to choose good again. The tree was always about choosing to trust him, choosing to obey him, choosing that when he said good, you said good. And so right now in the middle of your garden, in the middle of your season, in the middle of your briar patch where it started good but it's not so good, the invitation is not that you would just blindly stumble and struggle and cry. It's that you would once again choose that, that he's good, that you would trust him, that you would say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I know it doesn't look good, but he's good, and I trust that he's good. He's going to walk. It's always an invitation to lean into him. That's why James says, count it all joy. Would you stand to your feet? I want to worship, and I just want to pray one thing over you real quick. The sons and daughters of Christ are just as the son and daughter made in the very beginning. You are made new and given the opportunity to daily trust that he is good. Amen? Daily choose to trust that he is good. 
every day you will walk down a road and there will be another tree that says, would you like to know good and evil? And your choice is no. I choose good. I choose to trust that God loves me. I choose to trust that his desires for me are greater than my own desires. I choose to trust that the things that come from him are better for me than the things that I would find in this world. I'm going to choose tov, life-giving, self-perpetuating, fulfilling good things because I serve a good God who makes me good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, I thank you for the opportunity to choose good. Not to be fooled by the things that this world calls good, but are in fact bad. God, today I'm asking that with every tree of the knowledge of good and evil, every temptation, every fear and every struggle that comes my way, every moment when the enemy says, did God say, I will say yes. God said, God's good. And I trust him. In Jesus' name.